Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for joining us uh, today here at Faith Radio. It's been a spectacular day so far, and I want to just say welcome. And after a month or so of prayer and getting ready, we have finally arrived here on Forgiveness Day. We decided the whole month would be on forgiveness, and we dedicated this day to focus on stories of forgiveness and redemption. Now, forgiveness, of course, is at the center of Christianity, and it demonstrates our love in really the highest form. But we can all know it can be a struggle to extend forgiveness to those who have wronged us. So thanks be to the awesome God who showed up and gave us the greatest example of forgiveness we'll ever know by sending his son Jesus who knew no sin, to die for us. Even just moments before Jesus took his last breath, he begged his Father to forgive the very men ruthlessly taking his life. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's in Luke chapter 23, verse 34. An incredible illustration of forgiveness. So I'll repeat, because it is Forgiveness Day, that forgiveness is an essential part of the life of believers. Ephesians 4.32 commands us, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Also in Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, it says, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. The key in both passages is that we are to forgive others as God has forgiven us. So why do we forgive? Well, because we've been forgiven. The Bible tells us that we are to forgive those who sin against us, so let's keep no record of wrongs. That's in 1 Corinthians 13, 5. But forgive as many times as necessary. That's in Matthew 18, 21 to 22. And refusing to forgive a person would be showing or demonstrating resentment or bitterness, anger, none of which are the kinds of traits of a of a person who belongs to Christ. So biblically, forgiveness is not only something God commands us to do, but it really will open up an invitational door for the offender to hear the grace and good news of Christ, and also to hear about reconciliation, hopefully for the relationship. The Bible teaches us to get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, and every form of malice. That could be hard to do. The story I'm about to uh, share with you is going to be a powerful story, and there is some stronger language in it, so it may not be sensitive for the younger ears. But let's uh, welcome them to the show. I'm very glad to be talking to Irvin Maristoffer today. 
when we talk about stories of forgiveness, I don't think there's too many quite like hers. And we're going to get a chance to learn about them and uh, their lives and what's happened in their lives over so many years and how forgiveness has played a part in it. And I will just say to God be the glory uh, with this story. And thank you for joining me, Irvin Mary Stauffer. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be with you. Thank you so much. Now, Mary, I'd love to start with you, if you don't mind. I would love to hear how you came to faith in Jesus. I came to faith in Jesus when I was about eight years old. Um, my, my mother was a Christian, my father not yet, but he didn't object to us going to church. And so I learned early from my mother and from Sunday school and church uh, how much God loved me and how he died for me. And and uh, I gave my heart to him at, at uh, eight years old. Mm-hmm. And then where did you grow up? Well, I'm, we're still in the house that I grew up in. Fantastic. Um, my dad built this house and we moved in when I was what, 10 years old? Wow. Up in Hermantown. And uh, when my folks passed away, uh, Irv and I bought the house. And so when we've not been elsewhere, such as the Philippines, where we were for many years as missionaries, this is our home still. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. And Mary, I'd love for you to uh, tell me about that good-looking guy sitting next to you named Irv. Oh, he's not only good-looking, but he's smart. <laughs> And he's a good money manager, and he helps me. He sweeps the floor well. (laughs) (laughs) All right, you're you're making a lawn. I could just go on and on about his many, many good qualities. Yeah. So tell me, when you guys fell in love, what was that like? Well, I was in high school. Okay. And I was a senior in high school. Uh, when I committed my life to Christ. I was 18 years old, and it was at a New Year's Eve service ending 1958, beginning 1959, when I committed my life to Christ. And it was not only the beginning of a new year, but the beginning of a new life for me. And that evening, the young people from our church were invited to join the youth group of... uh, the church that Mary was attending. Mm. And so that's when we met for the first time. Oh, the plot's thickening, Irv. Yes, the <laughs> yes. night I committed my life to Christ Oh, when we met for the first time. And we started dating about two or about three months later. And it was at um, Easter weekend at a Youth for Christ rally on Saturday evening. That was our first date. And that's when you were making it official that you two were going to be boyfriend-girlfriend, huh? Yes. Yeah. And Mary, you were... We were for five years until uh, we got married. Okay. And Mary, you were all for it that night, huh? You said, I'm in, right? Yes. Yes, I really was, because he had his own car. Oh, Irv. And it it was impeccably (laughs) clean. Really? That, was, that impressed me greatly that I could have eaten off the floor in his car. That's impressive. You would have rejected me with all the White Castle uh, you know, paper <laughs> yeah. on the floor. Yeah, definitely. No, there were no White Castle okay. or any kind of <laughs> <laughs> evidences of, of eating in the car. In fact, I guess we have eaten in the car from time to time, but that's not a common activity for us. So, Irv, you were you were serious about making that car clean and making sure that you were uh, you had you had everything going. 
Well, I tried to. <laughs> yeah. He did, and he worked at a bakery, so he had money in his pocket. And he was, I could tell from the get-go that he was ambitious, he was hardworking, and impeccably clean about his car, for sure. In fact, every time I got into the car, I thought, do I have any piece of gravel on the bottom? <laughs> because it's going to show in this car. Yeah. So you worked at a bakery, Irv. Did you ever show up with, like, an extra cookie for Mary? Well, um, no. Okay. <laughs> you know, after working in a bakery for a year or two, I didn't like cookies anymore. I didn't <laughs> like donuts. I mean, I handled rolls and donuts and cookies every day, and I sort of got tired of them. Yeah. But he, he did use his influence to get me a job at the bakery, not at the same location that he was working at, but at one of the bakeries that was under the same umbrella. Yeah. And so I worked at a bakery, too. Yeah. Now, here we are in the month of June. Did you guys get married in June? No, we got married in August. Okay. August 15th, 1964. Okay. So this coming August will mean 59 years. Oh, fantastic. That's awesome. And do you remember the day? Was it really hot that day? Um, no, it was raining that evening. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Oh boy. And I bet Mary looked gorgeous that night, didn't she? Oh, wonderful. You have to say that. Yes. yes. Well, Well, she always looked beautiful. Of course. Every bride's beautiful, of course. But no, I bet, and I bet, uh, Mary, I bet her looked quite handsome that night, didn't he? Oh, yes, he did. His hair was dark black. You know, he wasn't Scandinavian like my family. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then tell me about what you went on to do for an occupation, Mary. Well, Irv was in seminary. I continued my previous occupation, which was uh, as a school teacher, as a math teacher, uh, so that we'd have some money to live on. But then we became missionaries with uh, the Baptist General Conference and so served in that way for many years. Okay, so you guys had a a mission-minded heart from the get-go, right away. Yes, I grew up in a church that emphasized missions, and we had missionaries coming, so I had always wanted to be a missionary, and and the Lord eventually gave us that dream of being missionaries, and so we spent a number of years as missionaries in the Philippine Islands. Mm -hmm. When when I was uh, a student in the seminary, Uh, Then Mary was teaching, and her first two years of teaching were in Roseville, and uh, then we went out to the Philippines as student missionaries for a school year. So I had completed two years of seminary. We took a year off seminary. Mary took a year off from teaching. We went out to the Philippines and spent a a school year there, Uh, teaching at a Bible college on the island of Cebu. Oh, wow. And we really fell in love with the Philippines. We fell in love with Filipinos. And so we returned to the States with a a desire to go back to the Philippines to serve the Lord overseas in the area of missions. Mm -hmm. So then I had two more years of, of seminary. Mary had two more years of Uh, teaching this time in Minneapolis public schools. 
And um, after I graduated from seminary, then we were called to pastor a church in Nebraska. And we were there for five years. And that was a great experience. Wow. That helped prepare us for the mission field. We were applying to the Board of World Missions and when I was in seminary, and we knew that if we were appointed, went out to the Philippines, they would assign us to church planting. And I thought, you know, I haven't pastored. We wouldn't know anything about church planting. Mm -hmm. And so uh, serving as a pastor in Nebraska for five years was a great experience. It really prepared us for the mission field. And when we went out, returned to the Philippines as career missionaries and were assigned to church planting, well, the experience of serving as a pastor definitely helped prepare us for that. Mm-hmm. All right, let me take a short break, and when we come back, I want to get into some of the details of the the hard part of this story, which leads to an incredible amount of uh, forgiveness, and it is a powerful story. And I almost am reluctant to go there because I've had such a delightful time just chatting with you guys about life in general. And now we're going to take a little bit of a turn into some of the more difficult part of the story. I'm talking to Irv and Mary Stauffer, and we'll take a a very short break and be right back. Welcome back to the show. It is Forgiveness Day. It is all around the network, and we have uh, been telling stories of forgiveness. And my guests today are Mary and Irv Stoffer, and we're going to hear about a story which is going to have some disturbing accounts of some violence and some sexual violence. So I just want you to know that there is discretion may be advised if you've got younger ears in the car. But um, let's get to the part of the story that leads to this incredible act of forgiveness um, as God commands because there are a few stories I've heard that are anything like this. So you, uh, Mary, were uh, leaving a beauty salon in Roseville in, in May of 1980, and a man uh, appeared and forced you and in, in, in your daughter into a car at gunpoint. Yes. We were within five days of, of returning to the Philippines uh, as missionaries, and so I had taken our daughter to the beauty parlor so we could get our hair cut so we would look nice to go back to the Philippines. And as we were going back and getting out of the beauty parlor and, and heading to our car, a man came with a gun and said, I need a ride. And that's where it began for us. Mm-hmm. And did you know at the time that this person looked vaguely familiar? I didn't recognize him, but we soon found out that he had been a former student of mine in ninth grade algebra a few years before that. Okay. So now he fast forward many years ahead and he has, has taken you and your daughter at gunpoint uh, as hostages. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm already starting to feel my uh, adrenaline flow pretty quickly here. Uh, 
Tell me what. Uh, uh, by the way, our adrenaline was flowing pretty quickly too. Oh, I can only imagine. Yeah. <laughs> we had no idea. Yeah. Uh, Did you? We was no idea why we were being abducted. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, our adrenaline was working pretty hard too. Was your first thought that you were being uh, that he was demanding you drive him somewhere? because he needed to get away and you were the person that he picked? Or did you think, oh, I'm being taken somewhere? Initially, I thought, well, maybe this guy needs a ride. And here I am with a, a car mm-hmm. and uh, he can get a ride someplace. Yeah. You know, I thought maybe he's robbed a gas station and yeah. needs to get away. And I am here with car running. And so I didn't think it was targeting us particularly to begin with, because I did not recognize him. Mm-hmm. And Irv, feel free to jump in with any details that you know you want to fill in with as well, because this is a such a difficult story to tell. I think so. Yeah, when Beth got home from school that Friday afternoon, about three thirty, Mary had an appointment at the beauty parlor to get Beth's hair cut, and so you know they left the house about four o'clock and I expected them to be back home again at five and they never came home at five and didn't know what happened to them, where they were. Mary had taken our son, Steve to the same beauty parlor in the morning to get his haircut. So I said, Steve, can you show me where mother took you? And, and he did. We took the car, followed the, the same route and, and came back home, and Mary and Beth were still not home, mm-hmm. and we had no idea what happened to them. Uh, Mary's sister came for supper that evening, and you know we still waiting for Mary and, and Beth to come home, but they didn't, and her sister had another appointment that evening, so she left, and you know about eight thirty nine o'clock that evening. I called the police and, you know, to report that they were missing. Mm -hmm. They had not come home. And then a patrol officer came to the apartment later that evening to uh, interview me and to take a report. But we had no idea what happened. Mm -hmm. And I did not know that a little six-year-old boy had been kidnapped and disappeared that Friday afternoon. And it wasn't until the next morning when I called the police again to just emphasize that this was not a domestic problem. Mary did not take one of the children and leave. Something has happened. Mm -hmm. And the police officer said, well, there's been the kidnapping of a child. Maybe the two are related. And then they found the license plate from our car in the area where the little six-year-old boy had been taken. And so then they knew that the disappearance of Mary and our daughter Beth and six-year-old Chase and Wilkman were connected somehow. They didn't know how, but they knew the disappearance was connected. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, extremely difficult not knowing what was happening, why it was happening, where they were, what happened to them. So you are uh, in a place uh, now of panic, I would imagine. 
we are we're not at the age of cell phones or anything where we have any kind of connectivity. Um, so we're you must be at a loss. Obviously, you go to prayer, thinking, "Lord, help me." That's for sure. Yeah, of course. I know that's your heart, but it really turned out that this person who abducted um, Mary and Beth had kind of an obsession with Mary and had stalked her and your family and tried to abduct her at least four other times before he uh, forced Mary and Beth into a car. And then over the course of the next 53 days, he held them hostage in their, at his house. That's correct. Yes. Right in Roseville on Hamlin Avenue. It's not far from the studios here either. No, and not not that far from where we lived. Wow. He, I did not recognize him, but he had been my student in ninth grade algebra a few years before that. Mm-hmm. But I hadn't recognized it or put anything together yeah. uh, until he told me who he was. Mm-hmm. So he placed you and uh, Beth down in the basement, locked in a closet? It wasn't in a basement, but it was just the first floor of his house. Okay, okay. So, then, yeah. Yeah. And then over the course of the next 53 days, there was all kinds of uh, violence and sexual violence and everything else. Yes. he. I was so grateful to the Lord that he didn't rape Beth, nor did he uh, have her see the rapes, but he raped me numerous times, which was, you know, obviously a horrible thing for me. Of course it was. Yeah. So, Irv, if you would share during these 53 days of No Mary, No Beth, tell me what uh, what was going on with you. It was very difficult to live with the not knowing from one day to the next what was happening, um, if I would ever see them again, mm-hmm. wondering if they were still alive. Uh, Mary was able to write two letters to me. One was during the first week of the kidnapping that um, the kidnapper allowed her to write and, of course, supervised the writing of the letter Mm -hmm. and then mailed it. And so at that point, I knew they were in the area and I knew they were seemingly okay. Mm. Um, But we didn't know who had taken them or why? Mm-hmm. Our abductor, maybe I could just insert of this. Course. Our abductor uh, allowed me to write two letters to Irv so that, I mean, I obviously couldn't say that we were where we were or anything, but I could, at least he would know that I, we were alive and that we were in the area. Okay. So I think we'll take a quick break, but when we come back, there's uh, a lot more details of this story that uh, you think there's there couldn't be more, and there is more. And we're talking to Mary and Irv Stoffer, and we'll be back after a short break. It's the 
let's get it started. Jump in your car. Yeah. What's for dinner? Hey. It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Welcome back to Forgiveness Day. My guests are Irvin Mary Stoffer, and as we are working through this story, it's going to be evident that God's uh, power and the power of forgiveness can only come from the Holy Spirit and the way God works in our lives and transforms us. Uh, Mary was uh, abducted uh, years ago uh, by a former student and uh, held in a, in a closet for 53 days and uh, sexually violated um, repeatedly, uh, threatening their daughter who was with her at the time. And uh, finally, um, there was an opportunity after this happened for 53 days to somehow get free. Uh, Mary or Irv, can you explain how it came so that one of you got free? Well, our abductor would go to work every day, and he had at some point started to chain us to a door, a closet door. He somehow worked around the hinge pin, and and, uh, we were chained. And that turned out to be a good thing because after looking at it for all these days, I figured out that if the hinge pin would come out of the hinge, the door would separate and uh, we'd still have our chains, but we wouldn't be chained to anything in the house. Mm -hmm. And so that is actually what happened. It seemed to take me many days to figure that out. (laughs) So I filled around with the hinge pin and it lifted out like it was greased. And (laughs) so the, the door separated at the top, and there was no middle hinge on this door. It was just a closet door, so just a door in the bedroom. The top part of the door separated from the door frame enough so that our cable could get free. Mm-hmm. I put the hinge pin back in. I got the door standing up right again and grabbed Beth's hand and said, Come on, Beth, let's go. And so we went into the kitchen. He had taken us to the kitchen for meals starting sometime during the kidnapping instead of bringing meals to us in the closet. And so I had a kind of a vision of the layout of the house. And so we were able to go into the kitchen where we knew there was a telephone called the Ramsey County Sheriff and uh, asked them to come and get us. And I knew the address of the house by that time. And so we hung up and they were promising to come soon. And so we went back into the bedroom and gathered up our little little pile of belongings we didn't have very much of course but just gathered it up and went to wait for the police and what a what a wonderful sight it was to see the Ramsey County Sheriff's car come driving into the driveway oh, I bet yeah I bet it was just really thrilling we we're so grateful for their efficiency and their kindness and freeing us and getting us back to our family. Okay, so now we're going to move towards uh, Irv, you getting your family back, getting Mary and Beth back. But also now we've got a, a some bad news about young little Jason Wilkman. Yeah, I I had asked them, I said, because they wanted to know where's the little boy. And I said, haven't you found him? Because we we could not get any information any true information from our abductor. When I asked, he'd say, well, I I let him go. He'll wander out to the road and somebody will pick him up and take him home. 
and we hoped and prayed for that. That was not the truth. Yeah, it turns out the abductor killed him. Yes, yes. yeah. Yeah. And I think it was a blow to the head or uh-huh. maybe more than one blow to the head. Uh-huh. And just, I think, covered him with some uh, branches and things like that. Mm-hmm. So there was then the capture of this person, and then you had a experience at trial, which in 2022 seems unrealistic, but I know back then what happened happened, and it was so unbelievable, Mary, because I assume that you thought at this point you're safe. Yeah, we, we were no longer worried about our safety. So tell the listeners what happened when you were testifying in court. Well, we were in the, I was in the witness box, and our abductor was sitting at a table at the defense table or mm-hmm. whatever whatever you call it, as I was answering a question, he jumped up from the chair, ran behind me, grabbed me by the neck with one hand and held a knife in the other hand, which he held in front of my face and shouted back around to get back or I'll kill her. So, of course, the the law enforcement people couldn't keep, you know, attempting to get to me. And then he just at knife point, made me get up and go. And and in the process of that, his knife met my face. So he, he slashed my face. Uh, it eventually caused, I needed to get, what, 52 stitches? Or 63 stitches. Anyway, a lot of stitches. That's a lot of stitches. It's, it's, yeah. it's inconceivable to think that that would happen in a court of law where you are on the defense uh, stand and this happened, Irv. I assume you were there. No, I wasn't. Okay. I was at home okay. taking care of the kids. Gotcha. Okay. So <laughs> this must have been a story that seemed un- inconceivable to you. Y- yes. After after it happened, uh, Mary called me and said, "There's been a problem in the courtroom, an altercation, and I was attacked." and um, cut with a knife. Wow. And I said, are you okay? She said, yes, I'm okay, but I'll have to go to the hospital. For stitches. For stitches. And I said, do you want me to come? And she said, uh, are the kids awake or sleeping? I said, they're sleeping right now. She said, you better stay home with the kids then. <laughs> and uh, Never disturb sleeping children. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, I was going to stay at home with the kids. And Mary hung up. And then a minute or two later, the phone rang again. And it was the FBI agent. And he said, Irv, uh, this is more serious than what Mary told you. And you really need to come. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I found someone to take care of the children. And then I headed to the hospital and where Mary was being treated, where a surgeon was sewing her up again. Mm -hmm. And of course, she was under police protection at that point. Yeah. And so after, after the surgeon sewed her up, the police wanted her to stay in the hospital um, so they could watch her more carefully. But Mary did not want to stay in the hospital. She wanted to go home. Yeah, I don't blame her. And Yeah, so I took her home, 
And we had uh, police officers following us and spent the night with us <laughs> in Protecting our apartment. You. Wow. Watching us. Wow. They were, you know, just concerned about her safety. Uh-huh. And, uh... Had the, had the perpetrator at this point, he, had, he hadn't left the, the court building free, did he? He didn't get away that day, did he? No, no, no. The, oh, no. the police apprehended him immediately. Okay, okay. You know, when he uh, attacked Mary in the courtroom, well, the FBI agent was in the courtroom, the sheriff was there, I mean, they immediately, you know, went up to um, the witness stand to, to, you know, free Mary from right. him. Mm. Yeah. So. And so they immediately took him into custody. Mm-hmm. So. And, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. No, I'm just. I'm. I'm. First of all, I'm marveling at uh, Mary. Your. Your your resiliency, your attitude. I mean, when you say I'm okay and you, you have a cut on your face requiring 63 stitches, uh, it's, it's quite amazing that you would say that. Well, I mean, it, it's probably ignorance more than, than amazing. I don't think I realized that I had been cut, that the cut was so, you know, would require so many stitches. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all I can figure is that the knife must have been very sharp because it was a very fast, quick, almost painless slash. Yeah. All right. So uh, I assume we you could. Know the, one of the frightening things was that that could have been her throat. Absolutely. Yes. I mean, she she was very close to facing death at that point. Mm-hmm. In the very environment that you would believe she would be safe. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. That was difficult to deal with. Um, I must say that I struggled with forgiveness at that point. I can only imagine, Irv. You know, after the first trial, when he was found guilty of, uh, in federal court of kidnapping Mary and Beth, um, you know, I was told... In fact, both Mary and I were told, you should bring a civil suit against him. Um, he owns a business. He has a lot of money. And you folks could use that money for your ministry, for a home, to take care of your children. And I thought, you know, he hurt us as a family. That would be a good way of getting back at him, mm-hmm. um, to hurt him like he, like he had hurt us. Mm-hmm. And as we were thinking about that, uh, Mary said, no, vengeance does not belong to us. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. And I knew that was true. And I had to respect Mary at that point and just struggle through this whole area of, of forgiveness. And, you know, not, not to hold resentment, not to want to get revenge. And, and, you know, to ask the Lord to um, take away the resentment and the bitterness that we could forgive him, forgive uh, the kidnapper for what he had done to Mary and Beth. And, and we realized that we needed to, to do that. 
if we were going to put our lives back together, then there could not be bitterness or resentment in our lives. There had to be forgiveness there. And we were able to do that. But then in that second trial for the, you know, when he was being charged for the murder of Jason Wilkman, six-year-old Jason Wilkman, um, you know, and attacked Mary in the courtroom, then that resentment came back again. You know, he, he almost killed Mary, and, mm-hmm. and I wanted to get back at him again. And I had to struggle through that, that whole area of forgiveness all over again. But I realized that, you know, as Christ had forgiven us, we needed to forgive others. You know, the Lord's prayer is, Father, forgive us as we forgive those who sin against us. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so, again, I ask the Lord to take away the resentment, the bitterness, and to give us the grace to forgive as Christ himself had forgiven us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm so humbled by what you just said. It's it's so powerful, so beautiful, so Christ-like, and it's just humbling to even hear those words come out of your mouth, Irv. We are going to take a very short break, and when we come back, I want to hear a little bit more uh, forgiveness. And Mary, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about your experience with forgiveness. I'm talking to Irvin Mary Stoffer. This is Forgiveness Day, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. It is Forgiveness Day, and we've been talking, we are talking to Marion Irv Stoffer. And if I were going to write a book on heroes of the faith, I think they'd be chapter one. But that's just me, because uh, their story of forgiveness is so powerful. Mary, I would love for you to share with listeners um, your working your way through forgiveness. And no doubt you have memories. Maybe they come up, maybe they don't. But when they do come up, how difficult are the thoughts? Amazingly, not difficult, because from early childhood, I've trusted in God and felt so sure that He is in control of, of all things that happen, whether they whether we look at them as good or bad. And so I... I mean, I don't know why the attack had to come or why I had to have uh, all kinds of stitches on my face and, and you know, why all those things happened. And, of course, even prior to that, why the little six-year-old boy, Jason, had to be killed, and that was something we didn't know uh, right away, but it only came out later. You know, those are tragedies that happen. And even the rapes, I had to deal with the rapes happening. And and yet, when we know God, and 
when we know how good God is, even though we might question the goodness of those things that happen, that God has ultimate good for all of us. And God has truly worked good in this whole sordid story. Mm-hmm. And he's the one that gives grace and strength to go through these things. And so I came away from that experience with a scar on my face, but no scar in my heart or mind and no res- no resentment because I knew that would ha- have no good outcome anyway. Yeah. I mean, Mary, you didn't let this define you, did you? No, I tried not to. I mean, there were times... It you know the story was quite a well I guess it was the number one news story of 1980 but you know so many people knew about it but in spite of the publicity um, I didn't really take any of that to heart but just was so grateful that God preserved our family He preserved me He preserved my daughter and kept her from harm. And he has given us peace of mind through the whole thing. And so we're just so grateful for all the good things that he has done. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about forgiveness, and this is um, an incident where I I know there's a lot of people scratching their head thinking, there's no way I could forgive. And so what you've done has been the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, for sure. But I think a sign of forgiveness above all other signs, is uh, not only do you uh, you hate what he did, but you don't hate him, do you? And no, you, we don't. And you've and actually we, prayed for him, haven't you? Yeah, in fact, uh, even, even before I was attacked in the courtroom, which happened in, I think it was in February, and we had been captive already, you know, and, and I had been raped and all kinds of bad things, but... Uh, we just, we knew that we couldn't hold on to any resentment. We knew that we would have to forgive and that God would work for good. And truly he has in all of this. So I don't know what else I can say. Well, no, that, that you've said a lot. And Irv, I don't know if you have more to say, because I know men and women deal with um, things differently. Um do you have, it sounds like Mary's memories are kind of diminished. They don't bite. Does it still, <laughs> does, does it still nip you a little bit when you think about it? Well, we've had, just recently, we had to go through a parole hearing uh, for a shoe. And, you know, he expressed his regrets for what he had done. And we were glad to hear that. Mm -hmm. But uh, he had made definite threats against uh, Mary's life, our daughter's life, and we hadn't forgotten those threats. And even though he has served um, over 40 years in prison, uh, still those threats are are evident. Those threats are still there. Mm -hmm. 
And so he was not extended a parole, and we think that was the right decision. Yeah. Um, And I would imagine the Wilkman family feel the same way. I'm sure. Um, Yeah, we're, we're glad to hear that he regretted what he did, but still he did it, and he took the life of an innocent six-year-old child. Mm-hmm. And he's got to pay the price for that. Mm-hmm. It's, um, that life is gone. And, you know, there's been a heartache for that family. Um, I think, for me, the hardest thing was to find out that he had killed Jason an innocent six-year-old boy. And, you know, that's that's the big pain of this whole thing for me, is that the Wokemans have had to get go through the rest of their life without their no. son. I got my wife and my daughter back again. And, um, you know, we were reunited as a family. We were so thankful for to have family life again. But the heartache was for the Wilkmans and the loss of their six-year-old son. Um, we were happy to be together, but we grieved with that family with the loss of their child. And that's so and, beautiful. That was your, that's your heart. That, your, and that, your, was, that was our heartache. Yeah. No, my... So you're loving and and serving and speaking love and truth into this family who lost their six-year-old son. So you're already taking the emphasis off you and putting it on them. Yes. Again, that's a beautiful testimony to God's grace. It kind of leaves me speechless. we, we We could only extend forgiveness because of God's grace. Mm hmm God's grace and God's strength in our lives um, to extend forgiveness to Shu for what he had done, but still he has to pay the price, the penalty for what he did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, justice uh, is served. Um, so it's an incredible uh, story of forgiveness. I, I'm, I'm so humbled just to hear the words from both of you. The, the emotions that I know are running through listeners right now must be kind of off the charts that there's, um, so many people thinking, I don't know how you did it. So maybe you could offer, I'm sorry, Mary. It's by God's grace because even in my head, I knew that it wouldn't serve me well at all to hold, uh, withhold forgiveness and to be resentful of all, you know, all that had happened, um, that, that wouldn't have helped me at all yeah. to heal. And, and God gave us the grace that we needed to forgive and to accept that it happened and God works for good no matter what happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's inevitable, though, that we mourn with the Wilkmans for the loss of Jason. Yeah. Because he was just an innocent person who happened to be in the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I only have a minute left, so this may not be a fair question, but do you have a little word of advice for someone who might be struggling in inf- unforgiveness? Unforgiveness will only hurt the person who doesn't forgive. Mm-hmm. It never affects the person who did the, the bad thing. They don't even know. I don't, they maybe don't even realize. Yeah. But for the person who was wronged, to hold resentment will only turn out bad. Mm-hmm. Mary, I, came, ac- I came across the statement this morning that said, forgiveness is not an occasional activity. It is permanent part of our lives. Mm-hmm. Thank you both so much for making Forgiveness Day such uh, an incredible experience for listeners and for me. I appreciate you and and love you both. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. You bet. Irvin Mary Stoffer have been my guests. We'll take a short break and we'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.